And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for hitting the download and welcome to another episode of When Did That Come Out? The ongoing two-man journey of covering an entire year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. I'm your host, Charlie Stabile, joined as always by my good bud, William Rankin. Will, how the hell are you? I'm good, man. Good. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. This is the first time we've talked in a while, so hopefully this will come off fresh. Uh, So it is October of 1986, the month of my birth. And we are looking at Martin Scorsese's The Color of Money with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Uh, Will, what are your thoughts on Martin Scorsese's 80s output? Uh, Well, when you look at Scorsese after 1980, all the way up until Goodfellas, it's a very mixed bag. It is a complete departure from where Scorsese's kind of known for, you know, like... um, Really, when you look at it, those two movies are what he's principally known for, Raging Bull and Goodfellas, and they're almost a decade right. apart. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. Like It is really a mixed bag. Like It is him trying to do different kinds of movies, some of which still maintain a lot of the grit uh, that movies like Taxi Driver like Raging Bull had, but then there's some that are real departures. You know, there really are. Like... Um, and, and I think that's where sometimes, um, and, and I'm not 100% up on my Scorsese biography, so I don't know like where he, him personally was at this point, because I know obviously between uh, relationships and cocaine, you know, there's a lot going on in Marty's life. It really depends, man, between Last Temptation, After Hours, King of Comedy, and, mm-hmm. and this, I mean... They're, they seem like totally, completely different movies. All solid flicks, though. At least in my estimation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're... But they're all different. You're right. I I, th- I always forget about Last Temptation. I always forget the, forget about that one. Well... Because that was, that was the one he did right before Goodfellas. Right. And I think with, um, with each of these movies, like I, I think there's some that maybe they don't hit you as hard as... Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, Goodfellas does the first time you see it. It is down the road when you maybe revisit it again, where you gain a little bit more appreciation for it. I think I don't. I think they're a bit they're a bit tougher to get completely around sometimes. Yeah, people seem to do. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like I always kind of equate it to rock music. It's like oh, people will like the '60s and the '70s. They'll completely gloss over the '80s, and then once Nirvana hits. They'll uh, they'll latch onto that and they'll skip an entire section of music because they don't think it's worthy. I hear this a lot about Scorsese's '80s output, and um, I've never really understood it. Uh, I've I'm a huge fan of the King of Comedy. I think that is a, a solid flick. It's very off kilter, especially for him. But you also have to remember, I think that uh, after I guess after Taxi Driver. Oh no no no! I'm sorry. New York, New York. He was done. He was done. He did not want to do movies anymore. It was actually Robert De Niro who coaxed him into coming back for one more movie, and that was Raging Bull. And then that, and then he was going to retire. Yeah. And I mean, thank God he didn't. I mean, Raging Bull is a wonderful movie, but uh, I mean, I'll be honest. My favorite Scorsese movie, hands down, is Goodfellas. You know, if if we hadn't gotten that movie, I mean, I would be looking at his filmography in a completely different way. 
But smack dab in the middle of this in the 80s, we have The Color of Money, which this seems to be kind of commonplace now where there will be a sequel to a movie that came out nearly two to three decades ago. But I can't remember a movie around this time of 1986 or beforehand where this had happened, other than maybe Psycho 2. Psycho 2 is an exception. But this is 25 years after The Hustler. And I don't know if there were there was a substantial audience clamoring to see uh, Fast Eddie Felsen again, or if there was even an audience that uh, was aware of the Hustler, you know, for for that for that time period, and especially when you got Tom Cruise in there, he was practically the hottest star of his generation at the time. So you, you got to think that he might have been cast to try to lure a younger audience in, um, which isn't a bad thing, especially when you consider the fact that Tom Cruise, I believe, is a great actor. So. It, it actually helps the movie, I think. Um, so 25 years, and, and this happens. And Now, there was a book. Like th- These are two books, right? The Hustler and The Color of Money. Yes. Yeah, and according, fr- from what I've read, the, this, the Color of Money, and this is the one real drawback for me because I would have loved to have seen uh, Minnesota Fats in this movie. But the movie that it actually is, um, Minnesota Fast, a Jackie Gleason character, I should say, from the first movie, who's my favorite character from The Hustler. Um, the movie as is, The Color of Money, I just like they figured out, because Minnesota was in the original draft, I don't know where you'd even put him. No, that, The Hustler, like, the perfect direct reference to The Hustler is, that, is when they try to go to that pool hall, and it's no longer a pool hall, because that's... Right. That literally shows you how much time, like it has passed him by, and that's perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm glad they left most of the hustler out, and they leave it to mostly just like, you know, oh, that was a long time ago, back east. There, you know, there are very, right. very, very few references to it, and that's fine because we're really pick like the what's important is picking up with Eddie Felson now and seeing kind of the scars of that movie going forward versus trying to go back and fill in more gaps of that story. I will say that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great sequel in that it doesn't fully acknowledge the fact that it is a sequel. Like this movie, much like uh, an earlier episode of ours, aliens, uh, which was a sequel. Also, it doesn't necessarily require that you have seen the first movie. Now, yeah, like, like you've said many times to me before, you have seen this movie several times over the years. This was my first time, and I'd always wanted to watch this and The Hustler. So I was, you know, I just wanted to have that as a as a back uh, story thing, and and I'm glad I did it. But at the same time, I mean, I feel somewhat more compelled to The Color of Money, and I think it's just for me at least. I really like where Paul Newman's character is at this point in his life. And I don't know if it's because I'm more interested in an aged character as opposed to a young hotshot, but yeah, you can see the years on his face and in his expressions. It's very interesting, especially watching these back to back. I mean, he just, I mean, he doesn't look different, but he looks different. He, he just looks like life has hit him just a little bit harder than it did in that movie. And I like that he has one foot out the door when it comes to hustling and, uh, and, and billiards, but he still has a foot in. He still backs people on occasion, like he does with John Turturro uh, at the opening of the film. But, I mean, what does he do now? He, he, sells, um, he sells liquor to bars. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah, which that's a, that, that seems like something that Eddie Felsen would do. 
And um, so Jackie Gleason not being in the movie is not the, a, a, a huge drawback because I think the movie has enough strong material within it to support itself to where you don't really necessarily need that character. And with the, like I said, with the movie that we actually have in front of us, what would it actually do for the flick and for the Eddie Felsen character? Because pretty much, I mean, his emotional gamut is ran by uh, Helen Shaver's character, Tom Cruise's, and uh, Master Antonio's. So <clears throat> let's let's get into the movie like for real, though. Martin Scorsese, do you know why he directed this movie? It just seems odd to me that he would want to do a movie like this. Um. I've 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 often wondered that. Again, I haven't read. I I wish I was more read up on uh, on all of Scorsese in terms of you know uh, like a complete biography of him. But um, I mean, it's one of those where it's like, did they have a script first? You know, kind of things. And you know, it was one of those. How are we gonna get? How are we gonna get Paul to come back and do it? Well, maybe if we have someone like Marty do it. That's what's so interesting is like I, it could go a lot of different ways. I have no idea why he would want to do this. At the same time, like I don't think Eddie Felson is too far away from some of his other characters because an overriding theme in Scorsese movies is obsession, mm-hmm. and and. Eddie Felson has like an obsession that has been burrowing in him for years. And I mean, it's all summed up when he first, when he's, it is a, it's the, it's the most well-crafted scene in the movie is the fact that at the beginning of the scene, he's, I mean, he's, you know, he's got a relationship with this, this bartender or this, um, this bar manager, whatever she might necessarily be. She probably more is more the manager and he's joking with her and he's putting on the best game ever when it comes to he's got some good lines oh my oh he's God. got some he's got some doozies and 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 you know and you know he's been he's been having relations with her because he's talking about who makes you who's making you omelets i didn't make you an omelet who made you an omelet? and he's swatting to turo away i love that he's like, but no, no, then no, no, no. all of a sudden <laughs> bam there's this i mean and you and you wonder how many years he's been waiting to hear the that sound that way and it hooks him right back in. The soundtrack is perfect for it. I'm behind the it. movie has excellent sound editing. No, you're right. Yeah, because he resists it at first. When he looks back and sees uh, Tom Cruise after he, um, what, what do you call that? When, the, the break. The break yeah. When he breaks. Yeah, when he first breaks. And then he goes right back to business. But then he hears it again. Yeah. And and, and that's what did it. He's like, oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to go check this guy out. And then Totoro's coming back more and more to pick up another 20 to go play with. Right. And, but then, like, it's the interval between is getting shorter and shorter to where it's just like, what's going on? Right. I've got him on the ropes. Yeah, he literally goes back, like, 30 seconds later. Yeah. Which tells me that he he uh, not, he got he knocked in the nine ball on the break. Right. <laughs> you know, just really cool, which is great, too. I love that Scorsese did the opening narration. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I think— Because I never played nine ball. Nine, I never played that. Nine ball is fun. See, that's, that's another great comparison between the movies is that The Hustler is about straight pool. Right, which, and that's what I'm used to playing. Which yeah. is a real artist game. Like, that is a—it it is an endurance game. Whereas Nine Ball is so perfectly '80s because, like, you can totally feel the cocaine, like, you know, ana- like uh, analogy for it almost. Like, it's analogous with it because, like, it moves so fast, it can end so quickly. But then you're just ready to go right back into it and play another game. You could play dozens of games into the night, 
It's a perfect. It's the. It's. It, it, I'm really glad that Nine Ball was the center of this movie versus the other one. I was too. I was too. I thought that just the idea of the game. I was like, that's really interesting. Like, especially with the break, and and you can get the nine ball in on the break. I mean, just how cool that was. And and there's a whole thing in the movie about luck, and even luck being an art form, which yeah, that's that's a great pull. So let's talk. So as as wonderful as Paul Newman is in this movie, and he really is. Uh, let's talk about Tom Cruise for a bit. Um, I've got. I've probably seen. I want to say ninety-five percent of his movies now, and I've never seen him like this. This this type of character, especially, it's cool to see it like this young in his career, where you know he usually just always played the hot shot. It was in over his head and this and that. This is a guy who's a hot shot, but he has really no faith in himself. <laughs> you know, he 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 doesn't really. He's not comfortable. He, he just strikes me as someone who's not comfortable in his own skin. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think the, it's that it's a great line when he says to him, he's like, "You're you're a natural character." He's like, "See that?" I've, That's the best line in the movie. He says, "I've got." I, he's, I always thought I had good character. No, 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 no. You're a one. You had. You are a wonderful character. You're a great flake. Like it's, you're a great flake. <laughs> this is so good, and he he has nothing to say back to it. And, it, and oh, it's I, so beautifully manipulative. Right, and and that's the thing too. The thing that makes this movie fun is that I don't quite know who I'm supposed to be pulling for, uh, up until I want to say three fourths of the way into the movie, where it's like someone's hustling somebody here. Like I, I love the scene in uh, Tom Cruise's uh, at his job at the toy store, and there's another great line in there where where Felson tells him, "Well, we need to leave uh, for what Atlantic City. We need to leave for Atlantic City tomorrow." He's like, "I can't leave tomorrow. I got my job here." This is your job. This seems more like a problem than your job. And Tom Cruise is just trying to figure out exactly what he, where he's coming from. And it, it can be left to interpretation, but the way I play it is that I, I truly believe Newman's trying to hustle him because he, he sees a, an opportunity oh, yeah. to make money. Look, look at how yeah. look at how he plays with his emotions when it comes to Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio mm. in that one scene. That's a that is messed up. Yeah, yeah, because that's the same scene. Yeah, that's the same exact scene where he's like, "Oh, you know, she's gonna leave you," and this and that. I'm like, no, <laughs> doesn't seem that way at all. But it's a way to get him off of off of his butt right. and yeah, and, and into Atlantic City. And it's a really cool little dynamic of a scene. And um, and it, the way it ends too with that with that zoom in shot on Newman as he's walking away is excellent. Yeah, just really really good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah I love that. Hey, and Vincent, don't worry about it. It's perfect. That's it. Don't worry oh. about it. And uh, what, what's the name of that pull cue? That's a um, uh, get... balabushka. The balabushka. That scene is great too. And that's yeah. in that great. That spawned the game. That's where the yeah. game comes from. Mm-hmm. That's what's so awesome is that that guy Doom? was such yeah that, <laughs> yeah that that guy was such a fan of that movie. He was like, that's the reason I'm gonna name my game Doom. Yeah, because it's the be all end all. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really cool, and it's a great um, it's a great callback for that dude because remember him in Risky Business? Yes. That oh was yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so uh, the the movie itself, and I picked up on it uh, while I was watching it. It uh, and if you read the reviews, the retrospective reviews, it seems to be uh, a critical talking point for a lot of critics this is something they actually complain about and that is is the movie too linear in its scope uh, is it 
because when people think of Martin Scorsese, I mean, it's fast cuts, it's lots of narratives intertwined with each other with an outcome that's never quite for sure. Like that always seems to be the deal. But there are these occasions where he will make a movie um, where it's a, almost in a traditional style. And the other one that I think of is Cape Fear, which I know you haven't seen. Hopefully we can get to that at some point. But I'm a huge fan of that movie. But that that movie is a very basic type of thriller setup, uh, beginning, middle, end. And this is very similar in that style, only it's more of the protege and the teacher storyline like like something like karate kid but it's a little bit more manipulative and it it does take a little interesting twists and turns especially with the uh with master antonio's character who man i mean i swear the reason she's nominated for the oscars for that scene with her and newman in the car oh yeah she is so good in that one little scene what i told you last week before we were getting prepped for this was this is one of the best macbeth lady macbeth Yes, uh, modern modern twists on it that you can see because by the beginning of that movie she's calling the shots on Tom Cruise's character. By the end of that movie, he has her like she she even says the line, "I don't even know what's going on anymore." Right, he has got everything wrapped around his finger now. It's amazing. It's a great turn with those two characters, their uh, their arc throughout it. And what's amazing is the movie starts off, it's about money. It's about hustling for money. What's great is by the end of the movie, like Paul Newman's character could care less about money. It's about playing. It's about the passion of playing. That's all he wants. And that's interesting because there's a line in the beginning of the movie where he's like, when you're the best at something, rich can be arranged. He doesn't say money can be arranged. He says rich. And that can take on many different forms besides money. And that's what makes the... Even though it's a linear story, like the the ending to this is amazing because it, and this is where I know Ebert kind of gets sour on is like, oh, you're setting it up because it's the mentor protege, so they have to have their big match at the end, which is what we're trained for. We all are trained for this when we see movies like this, is that they're gonna have to have their big match. And Scorsese's like, eh, I don't think so. I'm gonna end it on a different note for you, and it's a perfect note because it's an it is the anti sports movie that really really sticks with you. I think afterwards, yeah, and especially these little um, individual scenes. Like, because I kept as I was watching the color money, I kept thinking that like, are they are they gonna make Paul Newman's character uh, Eddie Felson? Are they gonna do to him what they did with George C. Scott's character in uh, The Hustler? Yeah, because it seemed like that he was kind of channeling what Scott was doing in that film. But they didn't end up doing that. And I, I appreciated that because I thought that would have been predictable. And that is a good argument that you make about the end of the film. Because honestly, when I first saw it, I felt a little cheated out of it. And I think it was because, you know, now that I've thought about it for a bit, uh, the rest of the movie is very, very Hollywood, very traditional. Except for the end. The end is, is just, it just ends without really letting us know what happened. And that is probably the most Scorsese thing that there is in the movie. But the thing is, he tells you, like, that's what, this is where Ebert frustrates me, is that he tells you it does not matter who wins this game because he may get his butt kicked, but guess what? He's going to find him in Houston or Dallas, wherever it is. Right. And he's going to keep playing him. And he's like, well, and he's like, if I'm not going to get you there, I'll get you somewhere else. Why? Because I'm back. And that's all that matters to him. It's, per- mm-hmm. it's it's a fantastic way to end a movies with that uh, sledgehammer break that Paul Newman's got. I think that whole that whole turn where 
he's you know it's an interesting thing he's like yeah i'm gonna go take the pool cue down because you don't you the the first time you see paul newman play like you know is he sort of just trying to get attention around tom cruise's character but when he takes the the balabushka himself and he's like ah, i don't know i'm just gonna go hang out i guess and it turns into an incredible night of shooting and then one of the best you know walk-ins in the movie is forrest whitaker and it's a great Ugh. scene that just is crushing, you know, for him. But at the same time, like it is the it's the it's a magnificent turn in the story. And like you said, it's it's it takes a while to get to that point. Right. And that scene is is heartbreaking because it is hard to watch someone pull a fast one on Felson. And and you know that that's what's happening here. And he knows it, too, but he can't let it go. He can't just let it go and walk away. He has to try to try to do his best and try to beat him, but he just can't do it. And that's what just kind of sets him over the edge. And uh, you get this this great scene with with uh, was it him and Tom Cruise in the stairwell? With Tom <laughs> Cruise, I, I love that. Tom Cruise just uh, just rips out the uh, the rail, yeah. which I think wasn't supposed to happen. No, it, it it definitely <laughs> looks like it wasn't. But that looks like the one that was definitely the keeper. Mm-hmm. It's great, and it, and it it's it's another heartbreaking moment when they go when they actually go to Atlantic City and they go through this tournament, and it comes down to Felson and Vincent, and it, and Felson beats him, and this is about with twenty minutes left in the movie. How, how awesome it was like, is it? Wow, that, how it's such a good like guy moment, and I say guy moment because I feel like. Like I know I've had this type of reaction or something, but when he walks outside and he just pumps his fist and goes right oh, back yeah. inside, it's great. Oh yeah, yeah, I've done that several times. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and 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 then he goes and he goes up to his room, and then it's just laid on him that oh well, you just got hustled by your protege. <laughs> yeah, he took and a dive. Here's your, here's your cut. Oh. and and oh. and the way the way Vincent describes it with, you know, that that ball almost went in. It almost went in, and he he was able to time it just right because the whole movie Felson is teaching him, like not just how to play the game, but how to play people, and and man, Vincent just isn't taking to any of it. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to take dives at all. So talk, make it look the, like he's not a good enough player. It's it's the scene where he runs into um, uh, what's his name, the guy who's like uh, Grady. He runs into Grady. Gr- mm-hmm. he runs in Grady Seasons is his name. He runs into Grady Seasons, who looks like um, Huey Lewis or something, walked into the movie. <laughs> he runs into him, or George Thorogood, that was it. That's who he used to joke it looked like, it was George Thorogood. And it's like, and he's pumped up to play him. And what does Felsen tell him? You're going to take the biggest dive on the planet. You're going to get wiped. <laughs> You're going to get your butt kicked by him. You're going to get wiped. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it because, you know, that goes against the instinct of being a competitive. And that's what sets up that end scene so well. It's like... He learned the lesson and he used it against Eddie. Right. Yeah, he finally learned it, and now he and now he can use it. And it's it's just man. Oh, Newman is so good in this scene with, with realizing that maybe he's he's not good enough. Maybe he's not. He couldn't beat Vincent, so he ends up giving the money back, and, and he just because it's not about the money for him anymore. Uh, and which is kind of like the hustler. It wasn't about the money. He just wanted to know if he could beat the best. And, and that's what drove him through that movie. And it's a great little scene. And, and it's, and it's wonderful for Paul Newman, especially at this later stage in his career. 
where he was able to uh, pull out a performance like this and and be given material that, that that was this good. Now I've heard I've read these these rumors over the years, long before I ever saw the movie, that Newman what, even he wasn't happy with this movie. Is that right? I don't know. See, I've 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 he wishes I, he never did it. I remember reading that at one point. And I just I, I I just wonder where that comes from because there isn't any part of that movie that seems to taint the hustler. In fact, it's I don't think so. It it, it reinforces it. It's it, in fact like I, I mean if anything it does better for the hustler that type of movie. This isn't I mean let's go going all the way back to great Greek tragedy times when Sophocles was like you know what I got one more Oedipus story in the bag Oedipus at Colonus yeah bulk I remember when I asked. As Victor, you know, or one of our professors, I asked him, I was like, yo, why? I was like, why did he write that? He was like, eh, you know, some guys need some money. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very good. And, and, it seemed right. to, and it seemed to, in a way, like if you're looking at the total story of this guy, of, of Oedipus and everything, it, it kind of... Yeah, it, it, it kind of takes away from it and everything. And so, but this isn't like that. No. This is, in fact, I think it's a wonderful companion piece. And like I said, I actually think, for me at least, it somewhat edges out The Hustler. And I really dug that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's a there's a couple of things like the the, the Helen Shaver storyline. You know, the bartender. Uh, she, that's kind of that. It's it's there's not a whole lot done with it, but there's enough from the Felson perspective uh, for what we need to see him go through. I wish there was a little bit more material for her. And honestly, I wanted to see more Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. Um, she's kind of, I mean, when did she fall off? Like when Robin mid-90s? Prince of Thieves? Like that's, yeah, the, I mean, that was her peak. I yeah. thought, but I mean, the but abyss was that, before that. So, I mean, it really is like right? that, that combo there. And then, yeah, man, I, I really don't, I really don't remember much of her after that. I think she was in uh, Three Wishes with Patrick Swayze, that that really crappy movie in the mid nineties. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that was it. I think that was the end. And which is unfortunate because I mean she was a real talent. And yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. But um, but the movie itself is a solid flick. Yeah, and, definitely. And it doesn't. It's so weird for a movie to be nominated for so many Oscars and to get the kind of divided reaction. That it seemed to have, at least at the time. I think in retrospect, people look back on it and go, you know, "This is a pretty good movie." Yeah, it's definitely. Not, you know, it's not Scorsese's best, but like, it's it's got a lot to offer, and it's got two really, well, actually three really great performances in the in the flick itself. And I, I mean, I don't. It's not that I hear people talk about this movie much anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. But uh, I imagine that uh, the people that do see it, the ones that have come across it, uh, would enjoy this movie. I mean, the way he shoots Poole, it's, it's interesting. Because uh, I do remember reading that Paul Newman wanted Martin Scorsese because of Raging Bull and the way that he directed the boxing scenes. I mean, but the boxing scenes in Raging Bull, I mean, they're so abstract. They almost look like a ballet. Yeah. Like, like just the opening uh, credit sequence, I remember, just like... it. It's one of those images that you go, you know, that would look great on my wall. You know, like, it just looks so good. And it, it was a complaint I remember with Siskel and Ebert with uh, how they were, they complained about the, the rapid editing that uh, Shoemaker did w- with the pool um, shooting sequences. And it's just rapid fire. It's just fast, fast, fast. And like you said, with Nine Ball, that's the way that game can go. I mean, if you ever watch, I mean, when ESPN used to show more pool and billiards, I, I don't know how you could, like, I mean, it, 
it wasn't it, it it wasn't terribly exciting to watch, unfortunately. Like because right, and that's why. Like, well, neither is golf. But no, they but still like show that. Imagine Scorsese <laughs> directing that movie. I mean, yeah. Uh, but that's what makes their choice and way they um, not only shot the pool but edited the pool. That was that's what made it really exciting. Like I, I guarantee you, like you know, when you watch that, there is an instinct in you. It's like, man, I, I really want to go shoot pool now. Like that's how good well, it is. That's kind of what the reaction that the movie had. Uh, much like the Hustler, the you know sales of pool tables skyrocketed uh, after both of those movies came out. And yeah, I mean, playing pool's fun. Watching pool it might be something different. Unless you're Eddie Felson, I love watching him watch someone play pool. Oh yeah, there's some of those just, shots too that are that he's doing them and they look amazing. Oh yeah, they oh, are it's great. Amazing. And and you learn that like. It can't be stated enough, and because Tom Cruise still does this to this day, but his commitment to whatever role he goes with is hardcore. Like, he bought a pool table and had it in his in his um, apartment, and he would play every night for three months, learning all these shots. They said that there's only one shot that he doesn't do in the movie, right? And and it's the uh, it's the jump ball shot, and it's not that he couldn't do it. It's just that they didn't have the time to teach him. Right. Yeah, which I think is, oh, I, I, I love that. I'm, a, I I'm trying to just think of the one. It's, there's one where there's like two balls. Like, it's one that Eddie sinks, and it's like two balls like just right on top of each other, and he just comes straight down with it, mm-hmm. and it just dead stops the one, and it sends the other one into the hole. It's a, it's a perfect shot. Like, it's, it, it's a... There are so many good trick shots that he does see, in that movie. See, and, and this is the thing with the movie. Like, as I'm sitting here talking about, I'm remembering these little scenes in the movie that really stick out. I, it's, it's Paul Newman's eyes, if nothing else, during uh, w- when he first sees Vincent. I love that opening scene. That's prob- that probably is the best scene in the movie. And Vincent wants to play John Turturro again. John Turturro doesn't want to do it. Well, okay, we'll play for free. And and Paul just Newman's play, play. eyes just play play yeah, yeah play play okay or, or if I win I don't win any money if you win I'll give you twenty it's and it's like what this uh, guy's out of his mind but at the same you know? time it's so degrading like it it's is so it's that too uh, that's something you say to a child yes yeah but like Felson's really taken by that and uh, it's it's a great little moment and 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 on top of all that. You get this wonderful little dialogue that he has with Master Antonio about taking the five hundred dollars, and oh, I never joke about money. You know, he I says know. that, and so you shouldn't have taken it, or you should have taken it. Oh, you can never tell in these situations. <laughs> <laughs> He's just playing her the entire time, and completely throws her off. I love when he first sees her, and she looks at him, and he's just kind of like, ah, "How you doing?" <laughs> and she just <laughs> looks away, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna have to up my game." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great little moment. Oh man! But um, anyway, so let's let's wrap this up. Let's talk about uh, the legacy of the flick. Uh, I think this is this is so crappy. So Paul Newman had been nominated, I believe, seven times for an Oscar and never won it. And the Academy realized their error and gave him one in 1986 in March when they when they held the Oscars, thinking he would never you know do a movie that would be worthy of winning. And then the, that very year, he comes out with this, wins that Oscar. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's such. I remember Peter crap. Peter O'Toole with this was this, this almost happened again. Like it almost happened a couple times, I think, for him. I swear there were a couple. I remember though distinctly after he got the honorary one. I think it was like an O two or O three. 
uh, Troy was coming out in 04. And I remember that there was like, there was talk, there was a little bit of a buzz that they were, they were trying to drum up a campaign for him to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Troy. And it was like, nah, man, it's that didn't happen. not going to happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. No way. <laughs> and I like that movie. I know, on, but that's, it that's wasn't ridiculous. good. But that's, that was what made me think of it when I went back and thought about Newman winning and like, it, and thinking about guys who afterward you know, maybe had a chance to actually win one, you know, and, but his is, you know, it's, and granted color money, like son of a woman, it's one of those kind of career Oscars in a way, you know, it's, it isn't necessarily, isn't, isn't, isn't necessarily reflective of, you know, their best movie, but you know what? I mean, Martin Scorsese wins best director for the departed, which may not even be in his top five of all time, you know, in terms of possibly, you know, like, but still like, for that year it was the one and just like for this year like when you and and we've had the fortune we've been privileged to kind of go through this year granted we haven't seen obviously every movie of 86 but right i I mean this performance you know really it's it's it's, top notch dude it really is i i because i want to you know you know the the cynical part of me would go, yeah, this is just a, a layup Oscar. That's what this is. But Paul Newman has, has so many good little moments in this thing that really help him shine. I mean, hell, the script was nominated uh, that year. You know, like this, I, and I find that interesting too. Like, it, it got. I don't. I don't think Scorsese got nominated, no. but mm-hmm. the script did. Two acting performances did, and the editing did. And you're gonna leave out Scorsese. Uh, like, like it's it's one of those things. Like, it's like Jaws, where it, all it gets nominated for all these things, and then you're gonna leave this one out, like Best Director or Best Picture. Like, granted, like to not to nominate this movie for Best Picture might be a stretch, but you know, and Best Director, it's I wouldn't even put this in the top five of Best Directed Martin Scorsese movies, but that is no knock against him because he has so many movies that are so well directed. Mm. It's so it's it's just it's just one of those things. Paul Newman also uh, won the National Board of Review, which I mean that's that's also one of the higher ups in terms of uh, of, an, of an award that you can win that uh, for any given year. Um, movie was a pretty pretty decent success, I'd say. Uh, had a fourteen million dollar budget and it grossed uh, fifty two million, which in nineteen eighty six dollars that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said, like. I don't. I don't really know what to make of the divided opinion. I think that was one of the reasons that I put off watching it for so long. It's because I didn't want to see a Scorsese movie that I didn't like. Because I've only really seen, well, there's two of his movies that I just flat out do not like. And uh, over a course of like 40 years of filmmaking, like that is really something to say. And I mean, turns I watch the movie and I go, "There's nothing wrong with this movie." Like there's. I don't. I don't really see where the complaints are coming from. Um, I, th- I think it all is in the moment. Like I think a lot of those, a lot of the the contrarian opinion comes from in the moment when that came out. Because I think everybody wanted to see something like Raging Bull. They wanted that. They wanted something possibly. that was like that versus a real character study. You know. Yeah. You know. Instead of King of Comedy or After Hours or this or even. I mean, Last Temptation pushed some buttons. You know. I don't know if it was. Oh yeah. I, I mean. I mean. And I, I, I'm not going to say, well, maybe they didn't intend for that. I think they knew what they had on their hands with that movie, and that's fine. But it's all in the script. I mean, that's why, like you know, like don't worry, folks. Goodfellas is around the corner. Although the hidden gem of this '80s run is Life Lessons within the New York stories. Um, 
That's what I was trying to remember. Okay, because I've seen New York stories. Which one is the one? It's the one he did with Nick Nolte. Yeah, it's so good. Yes, that is the best one in that bunch. <laughs> that's I, that's a that should be a full length movie, is what uh, it should be. I'm I'm so glad you pulled that out because I thought of it like ten minutes ago. I was like, did Scorsese direct one of the New York stories? And because oh man, because yeah, the, that's but Martin Scorsese, Woody Allen, and a really really crappy movie from Francis Ford Coppola. I just garbage. Like it's so unfortunate that Woody Allen his little movie and Scorsese's have to share time with this, but it's the most wonderful use of the song wider shade of pale. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, like when I think of wider shade of pale, I think of life lessons. Oh yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Cause yeah. Nolte is so good. You want to talk about obsession. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in that, in that little 30 minute movie. Who's the co-star in that? It's, um, it, Toto did the song Rosanna. Rosanna Arquette. <laughs> Rosanna Arquette. Okay, right, right. Yeah, it's it's one of the best things Nolte ever did. That's for sure. Yeah. But um, so, uh, final thoughts. Anything? Anything you want to say no, about it, Color of Money before we go? It is my favorite Scorsese movie, without question. I really love, yes. more than Goodfellas. Yeah, I, I watch. I I have revisited this so many times over the years. I'll never get enough of Newman, Cruz, the soundtrack, the editing, the directing. Like, um, it, it, there's. There's there's very little that I would want to see more from this movie. It is perfect the way it is. I absolutely love it. Damn. Well, on a scale of one to ten, what do you give it, bud? About three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's this this one would be my ten of the year. This is a ten for you. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I'm I'm gonna go with my rating of a seven. It's a solid flick. I, I really dug this movie, and I and I will probably be revisiting again sometime down the road. Um, it it just, it holds up, and like you said too, and I didn't mention it, but yes, the music does deserve a mention. It's oh got my a God. T- typical Scorsese. You can always depend on him to pick good songs uh, for his movies, but the music that he picks and the score uh, yeah. is actually pretty good too. Yeah, the Werewolves it's, of London scene. Werewolves of London. Is amazing because Cruz is all in. Mm-hmm. He's going up against Moselle, and that whole place is just egging it on. And then the fact is, like as awesome as it is, Felson's dead on. It's like you killed it, man. We got we're done here. We have to leave. That's right. You you killed the town. <laughs> uh, so that's the color of money. Uh, thank you for listening. For the next episode, November of 1986, we are going to be looking at Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And I am very much looking forward to doing that movie. Uh, in the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter, at RealChangePod. And uh, personal handles, I myself am at CM underscore Stabs. And I am at William Rankin 83 And we will see you next month, November 1986, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Thank you.